welcome back to another episode of Faith on the Go podcast. This episode is from May 14th, 2023, the sixth Sunday of Easter and Mother's Day. We welcome the guest preacher today, Pastor Matt Short from the Greater Milwaukee Synod, who joined us to read the gospel and deliver a wonderful sermon. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe to get notifications when the new podcast is published. Like daily devotions? Follow us on Instagram at Faith Cedarberg to get daily devotions. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy. Our first reading for today comes from Acts chapter 17. In Athens, Paul faces the challenge of proclaiming the gospel to Greeks who know nothing of either Jewish or Christian tradition. He proclaims that the unknown God whom they worship is the true Lord of heaven and earth who will judge the world with justice through Jesus, whom God has raised from the dead. The reading. Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which we will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes from 1 Peter chapter 3. The author of 1 Peter encourages Christians to remain faithful even in the face of defamation and persecution. In baptism, we are made clean to act in accordance with what is right. The reading. Who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, 
than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel for today comes to us from St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. In final words to his disciples on the night of his arrest, Jesus encourages obedience to his commandments and speaks of the Spirit, who will be with them forever. Jesus said to the disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments will keep them. Those are the ones who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Christ. You may be seated. Well, it really is an honor to be with you all today. As we celebrate this Cultivating Community campaign, um, as Pastor John mentioned earlier, I've been in this building Many, many times I've been to lots of meetings here, I have walked your prairie, I have spent lots of time with Pastor John and with our Synod Vice President, Joyce Caldwell, who's a member of this congregation. I have even bragged about you to other congregations about the beautiful things that God is doing here, especially in the way that you are cultivating community. But I've never actually been in worship with you before. And it struck me as I was preparing for today that there's something special about this time that actually ties to what we're gonna do with the gospel today. There's something special about this time we set aside for worship, this time to step away from the crazy pace of daily life. These 60 or 70 minutes are a gift to us to help us slow down and notice God. As I prepared for today, um, I spent a lot of time in the scriptures that you just heard being slow about it just like what we do in worship, taking time, asking that God open my heart to whatever it is that we all needed to hear today. And there's a big secret about being a preacher. Um, We often say and preach the things that we ourselves need to hear as well, right? So as I was engaging in Bible study this week and really asking God to slow me down, help me pay attention, help me notice something in these scriptures that we needed to hear this morning, 
I came across uh, three tiny words in the gospel that are really easy to, to skim past. Um, and so I have to tell you, these words are so small that you probably never paid attention to them before. I've never paid attention to them before. Um, the words that really spoke to me this week, you ready? <laughs> are for, F-O-R, with, and to, T-O. Any English nerds in the room or English teachers? What are those? What's, what part of speech? They are prepositions. I have never preached a sermon on prepositions before. But we're going to give it a shot today. So for, with, and to, um, these are the places where God spoke to me this week, and I hope the places where God will speak to all of us this morning. So with that, um, I invite you, I think it's really good to start the sermon with just a deep breath and a moment to let all the craziness of the rest of the week pass. So will you join me in a moment of prayer? God of every time and place, quiet our hearts and minds this morning. Slow us down from the hectic pace that we fall into sometimes. Open us up and speak to us in the words we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to get back to the prepositions, but we're not going to start there. Um, we're going to start with what's happening in this larger story, because one of the biggest challenges of coming into worship and reading just a little snippet of a story every Sunday is that it's really hard to miss the larger context of the story. So I want to start there, because it really changes how we hear today's story when you look at the context of what's happening. Chapter 14 in John is part of what Bible scholars call Jesus' farewell discourse. And you saw in the little intro sentence to the, to the gospel reading today, this is the same night as the Last Supper. So try to picture Jesus saying these words to a group of people who, who are probably quite frightened. This is his goodbye to 11 of the disciples. Why 11? Well, like I said, the, good, the, the Last Supper just happened. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, this is still that same night, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. And right before what we heard today, Judas has just rushed out of the room to go betray Jesus, to go tell the authorities where he is. So Jesus turns to the other 11 who are left and speaks in the words that we heard today. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's saying goodbye to them before he is seized and arrested. In some ways, I think it's really hard for us 2,000 years later to imagine how the disciples must have felt in that moment. They were just starting to realize what he meant, that he was not going to be physically with them much longer. And so we can imagine they must have been feeling pretty afraid, afraid that he was abandoning them, afraid that after whatever was about to happen, they wouldn't see him anymore. They'd feel alone and they'd feel distant from him. Now. In all honesty, these men would actually have been kind of used to that snapshot of how a god works. Remember the time that they're being raised in. They're being raised in the shadow of the Greek and Roman gods, these gods who are always high and far away, enshrined in stone, but not a daily part of their reality. These weren't gods who walked with them as they traveled, who ate with them like Jesus had been doing. They were high and holy, enshrined in stone. We even heard something else about that today in the second reading about how this is not a God who is enshrined in stone. 
So, of course, Jesus had been trying to reassure them that he was going to be with them always, but just like those prepositions, it's really easy to miss that in the frantic pace of what's going on, and especially in the midst of their fear of being alone. I have to tell you another little secret about being a preacher is that some Sundays, it's kind of hard to explain what life was like back then and then try to bridge the gap 2,000 years and explain what life might be like now or to explain how the truth that happened here applies to our lives here. Some Sundays, that's a challenge. But if we're talking about what it feels like to feel maybe distant from God, <clears throat> I don't know that the 2,000 years are really that hard to bridge. If we're honest, each of us has experienced something like that. It's really not that hard to imagine where the disciples might have been that night. I don't know about you, but as I walk the world these days, as I read headlines, there are plenty of times where I feel deep in my bones a sense of, where are you, God? Where is all of this headed? Whether it's the challenges that churches are facing or the divisions out in the culture that separate even family and friends, or even those things that we don't really name out loud very often, like that loved one who's not doing so well, or that friend who's struggling with depression. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that we can all relate. I have no doubt we can all relate to the disciples in this story, and that fear that God is going to be distant, far away, when we really need it. I know that's something that we understand. And sure, intellectually, we know that God is with us always, but just like those prepositions, just like Jesus' reassurance to his disciples, it's easy to miss. Actually, this is where we need to take a breath, breathe, slow down, and listen closely even to tiny words like prepositions. These words might be small in the gospel today, but actually they are huge in terms of what this ancient story means for us in our modern lives. Okay, this is not meant to be a test. Do any of you remember what I said they were? What was the first one? Four, four. it was four. Yeah, there's no logical sense here. All right, four, F-O-R, and with, and two. We're gonna start with four. I don't know if you're used to doing this, but I'm going to invite you to get your bulletin out. I want to look at that gospel reading again with you. We're going to look at the second verse, um, actually those first two verses. And again, contextually, remember what's happening. Judas has just left to go give Jesus' location away. They know something bad is about to happen, that Jesus is probably about to be dragged off by the authorities, and maybe they'll never see him again. And it's in that situation to those scared disciples that Jesus says, check out the second verse there, I will ask the Father and God will give you another advocate. Okay, I know I told you that we're looking for the word for. In English, in English it's not here. But if you can read Greek, which, you know, they make us do in seminary, <laughs> then you go back and look and it turns out it actually really is there. It's, it's buried deep into this word for advocate. Because when you go back and look, and you look at how that word that Jesus uses for advocate is used, it's the same word that would have been used for a defense attorney. Okay? <laughs> Isn't that a funny thing? Jesus says, I know I'm going away, but I promise you I will send a defense attorney for you. What's a defense attorney's job? to be for you when no one else is. 
to put the best construction on you, to be in your corner, on your side, to have your back, to be for you, even when the world seems against you. And this is the image that Jesus chooses to use for the Holy Spirit, the one who is for us. I want to just pause right there and say, if this is the good news that you needed to hear this morning, then claim it. If that's what you needed to know, is that God is for you, your advocate, in your corner, has your back against any adversity. If that's the good news you needed to hear, let it sink in. But of course, the promise doesn't end there, nor do my silly list of prepositions. We started with for, now we're going to look at with. It's just a couple words later. Jesus says, I'm going to send you the advocate who will be with you, not just for a short time, what does it say? Forever, right? That simple, tiny word, now again, it might seem like a weird thing to preach on a preposition, but that tiny word, with, goodness, the entire arc of the biblical narrative is contained in that word. Remember what the radical thing was about the God of the Israelites? that that God actually moved with them in the tent during their desert wanderings. That's what made God different than what everybody else believed in back then. Their God actually traveled with them on the road. A little bit of me is starting to think of Willie Nelson on the road again. I won't start singing it. But that is how God works, with. It also shows up, remember the radical thing about the baby in the manger is that his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. The entire arc of the biblical narrative, how God works, is summed up in this word, with. That one seemingly tiny, tiny word. All right, so that's two of the three words, for and with. Remember the last one was? Two, that's right. Hey, it works. All right. Never tried preaching on prepositions before. Maybe I'll try it again. So if God is for us advocating, if God is with us so we're never alone, remember the last word is to, God comes to us. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. And again, it seems like a small and unimportant word, but it actually gives us a beautiful window into the heart of who God is. You look at the scriptures and you see this is how God works. It was never our job to earn our way to God. Whether you're talking about the promise that God made to Abraham, that was God's initiative to say, I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham, that your descendants will be as numerous as the stars and that all the nations of the earth will be blessed in you. That was God coming to us. Clearly, in the Christmas narrative as well, we hear the same thing, for unto us a Savior is given unto us, a Son is born. Again, a tiny word, but a beautiful snapshot of the heart of God. So I know it seems strange to preach about prepositions, but these three words, I think, sum up who God is for us, advocating in our corner, and that gives us the power to advocate for others. That's where it comes from. With us, so we're never alone, And that gives us the call and the mission to be with others, coming to us where we are, and that is what gives us the power to come to others, to bring the good news to them instead of just sit in our beautiful sanctuary and hope they come to us. I started today by telling you it was an honor to be here, and these three words are why. I see in you a congregation that is reflecting these words in how you live. If God is for us, 
with us always, coming to us always, I see you echoing that in the ways that you are for your community, cultivating places like the prairie and a deep partnership with a local school that is right next door. These things aren't just for the members of Faith Lutheran Church, are they? You're sending the message that God planted this church here to be for everyone. You are also sending the message, your neighbors see you with them, planning Easter egg hunts with neighborhood parents. And you are coming to people rather than expecting them to come to you. And that, that is the fire that I see the spirit kindling at the heart of this church. And I have to be honest, it's actually the only path there is to church renewal. Being the mission guy on Synod staff, I often get invited in by congregations who are wondering how to turn things around, how to renew. And I tell folks all the time, there's no 10-step guide to fix the church. Maybe it's a three-step guide. Maybe it's be for people, be with people, come to people on their turf instead of expecting them to come to you. Certainly the culture has shifted. People aren't coming to us like they used to. And we can try to reach for business strategies like marketing or strategic planning. Those can be marginally helpful. But really nothing works, I think, like imitating the very character of God. Being for the community, with the community, coming to those on their turf rather than expecting them to come to us. That is what I see you doing, is imitating the heart of God. So today I am celebrating with you this cultivating community campaign, not because of the campaign, but because of the ways I see you cultivating community here in Cedarburg. The fact that this church is here matters to your community. Don't miss that. The fact that this church is here matters to people who may never darken the doors of this church. In fact, each and every one of you knows people who may never darken the door of this church. They may never come in and meet Pastor John. So guess who their pastor is? It's you. In the ways that God empowers each of us to be ministers in our daily lives, you are making an impact. But I believe it comes down to those three words. God is for you, being your advocate, so keep advocating for others. God is with you, you're never alone, so keep telling your community you're with them, no matter what challenges come. And I heard examples of that, these beautiful conversations that are happening uh, across the Cedarburg community, and you're an active part of those. And if it's true that God is always coming to us, not expecting us to earn our way to God, God comes to us today in simple things like water and bread and wine and simple words. So keep coming to your community, bringing good news into their daily lives, because that's who God is, and it means that's who we are too. So today, I give thanks for prepositions and for the impact that one church can make.